All right, so this morning, uh, we will be back in 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. And what we'll do this morning is we'll finish that chapter. And then we're going to go into the first verse of um, chapter 7. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. And we'll go all the way through chapter 7, verse 1. And um, the title of the message this morning is uh, The Holy Lifestyle. The Holy Lifestyle lifestyle. And I think we can all agree in this room that um, we live in a world today where we want to live in such a way that we want to make the most with our lives. And when you think about that, there's a lot of different lifestyles out there that people claim is the best way to live your life because it can allow you to do the most with your life and live the longest with your life, right? And I think sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, we can sometimes become obsessed with the television, with social media, with you know, radio, uh, whatever it is. We see the lifestyles of the rich and the famous, the powerful, and we think that they have it all together. And unfortunately, when you think about mainstream media and our society today, you don't often hear too much about living a holy lifestyle or holiness in a life, in the style you're living. And today, like I said, we'll be back in chapter 6 of the second letter um, to the Corinthians. And what we've been talking about, or what we're going to be talking about, is living that holy lifestyle. So the last time we were in here, which was actually Sunday, last Sunday, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We looked at verses 1 um, through 10. And we talked about the fact that as Christians, as believers, we want to make the most of the grace that the Lord has given to us. And there were two main points that we looked at or that we talked about the last time. Number one, we don't want to receive God's grace in vain. We don't want to receive God's grace in vain. And if if you remember, Paul made that very clear uh, to the Corinthians as he was writing to them in this chapter. Now, God's grace will only be effective in our lives if we have an element of faith and an element of obedience. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, uh, there the Apostle Paul writes, For by the grace of God, no, for by grace, rather, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God's grace has freely been given to all of us. Um, And the way we receive that grace is by putting our faith in his son, Jesus, believing that Jesus died for your sins, believing that Jesus was buried, believing that Jesus rose from the dead three days later. You put your faith in that message. You recognize that you are a sinner and that you need a savior. And there's an element of repentance in your life. You repent of those sins. That's what makes us righteous in the sight of God. You receive God's grace. But then once you receive God's grace, you have to do something with God's grace. And that's what Paul is telling us here um, in these first uh, few um, these first few uh, verses in chapter six, right? We want to make the most of God's grace. We don't want to be a safe soul and a wasted life. So we want to do something with that grace. And of course, we know that all of us in this room, um, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, we are ambassadors uh, for the Lord. 
we certainly do not want to receive God's grace in vain. Now, the second thing that we talked about last Sunday was the mark of ministry in the life of the Apostle Paul. And if you know the Apostle Paul through scripture, this was an individual who endured some great difficulties in his life. A lot of trials and tribulations, all of this for the Lord's sake. And in a sense here, when you think about the Corinthians, he was kind of going through all of these things for them as well. The people that he was ministering to. Right? He was going through all of these things and they were helping him grow in the Lord and making him look more like Jesus Christ every single day. And those victories that he had in the Lord were drawing him closer to the Lord and also helping him to be a better minister. Um, and you think about the Corinthians, for example, here. He was a better minister for them because of what the Lord had allowed him uh, to go through. And as you and I, as we go through trials and tribulations and difficulties in our own lives, the victories that we have in Christ Jesus, those are the things that are going to help us look more like Jesus himself, the only living example and representation of God the Father that we have. And also, it's going to help us to be better ministers to the people around us, to our families, to our friends, and it's going to help us walk closer with the Lord. And certainly when we go through times like that, it helps us to make the most of the grace um, that God has given to us. And I, I think we can all agree here that in Christ Jesus, certainly um, the best is yet to come. And um, every single day we're getting ready for, for that best that is coming, right? So everything that we go through is for that purpose. So today we're going to focus here on these latter uh, verses of chapter 6. And we're going to talk about living that holy lifestyle. Um, living a life we are set apart onto um, the Lord. So before I do that, let me um, open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the Word of God together. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time together, Lord, in your Word. We love your Lord, your Word, Lord, and we, we seek your Word every single day, Lord. We pray this morning that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that I would decrease, Lord, and that you would increase. Fill this place, fill me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. And I pray that your Word would pierce our hearts. It would become flesh in our lives. It would change us. It would help us, Lord, to look more like your son. And um, I pray, Lord, that you just comfort us with your words this morning and uh, just help us, Lord, to continue walking that walk of faith and seeking your face. All these things we ask in Jesus' name this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6 Beginning here in um, verse 11, I'm going to read all the way through uh, verse 1 of chapter 7. Paul writes, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and I will, dwell, I will walk among them. I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, 
and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Uh, Chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Amen. So the first thing we're going to see here uh, this morning here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the first thing we're going to talk about is living a holy life. Living a holy life. And what we're going to focus on here, we've already spoken of this before, but we're going to look at why the Corinthians were not making the most of the grace that God had given to them. It was the way that they were living. And if you look at verse 11, notice here Paul pleads to them. He says, Oh, Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. Oh, Corinthians, you know, what we see is that Paul makes this appeal, this urgent request to the Corinthians. And to me, in this second letter to the Corinthians, it gives me a glimpse of Paul's heart for the people that he was serving, not just for the Lord, but also for the people that he was serving. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that we are to speak the truth in love. And certainly, in the case of the Corinthians, Paul loved them enough to correct them. And he did it, you know, in a loving way, right? Paul loved the Corinthians with an open heart, the Word of God tells us here. And he would also speak openly uh, to the Corinthians. He shared with them, if you look at the earlier chapters of this letter, uh, the things that he had to endure, for the Lord's sake, the things that he had to endure, even for their sakes, as uh, he continued to minister to them, being used by the Lord. Paul did not have any hidden motives. His motives were the Lord's motives because the Lord was using him to do his work. And it reminds me of what we read in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 12, for example, in verse 34, the word of God tells us, therefore, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And like I said, we get a glimpse of the heart of the Apostle Paul here through this letter as he pleads to a church body that he had had the privilege to father, that he loved them enough uh, to correct them and to continue correcting them. Because this second letter was addressing lingering issues that were not fixed after writing that first letter uh, to the Corinthians. And thinking about this in my life and in the life of a believer, as we continue to grow in the Lord, as we continue growing in our ministries, as we serve the Lord, you know, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, there in verse 5, that we need to continuously evaluate ourselves. And we have to check where our hearts are as we walk with the Lord, as we serve the Lord. Um, What are our motives as we serve the Lord? And What I see here reading through the life of the Apostle Paul is clearly his heart and his motives um, were the ones that the Lord had put on his heart as he continued to endure for the Lord's sake and also for the Corinthians as he continued to correct them and um, address the issues that would allow them to be more like Christ. In verse 12, uh, Paul continues and he writes, You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, Paul's love was not restricted towards the Corinthians. The Corinthians' love towards Paul was very restricted. Um, The Corinthians were not exactly as loving towards Paul as Paul was loving towards them. In fact, when you think about the Corinthians, many of them questioned his apostleship. If you look at the ninth chapter of the first letter to the Corinthians, you, you see a little bit of that information. And 
a lot of these people, um, as we mentioned before, were being led astray because of false teachers that had infiltrated the church there in Corinth, um, these Judaizers that were mixing law and they were mixing grace. So there was an issue there, obviously, with the Corinthians. Some scholars suggest that because of the first letter that Paul had written to the Corinthians, maybe they were offended by the things that Paul had said to them in the first letter. Remember, if you look at the first letter, uh, Paul was addressing sexual immorality. He was addressing division, um, abuse of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, just to name a few things. And maybe some of them did not receive that letter quite well. And because of that, they continued to rebel against Paul and didn't exactly show the love to him that he was showing to them. And they were not willing to leave those ways of living. And I think for me personally, as we walk with the Lord, um, the best place to be corrected is in the church body. Because I think once like you leave these four walls, you go into the world, and then if you misrepresent God, um, it could lead people even further astray. So the best place to be corrected is here within the church. As your brothers and sisters correct you or each other, um, I think we should receive it with love and with much grace because the Proverbs tell us that um, whomever the Lord loves, he's going to correct, whether he does it or he uses an individual uh, to do that. And I think when we, we receive correction, um, you know, the world tells us we receive it like with caution and um, we, um, you know, receive it with hatred and you get onto social media and you complain about it. But no, when we receive correction in the Lord, we receive it with love and with grace because that correction is going to help us grow and look more like Jesus Christ. So another thing I want to mention, and we talked about this before too, is that love is not tolerance. If you love someone, you're not just going to sit there and tolerate um, the things that they are doing outside of Christ. If you love them enough, you're going to have that element of correction. But like I said, in Ephesians chapter 4, we need to speak that truth in love. Um, we don't want to do it in a harsh way or in a bitter way that will cause someone to receive it uh, wrongly or in a wrong way. Uh, verse 13, Paul continues and he says, Now in return for the same, I speak as to, til- to children, rather, you also be open. So Paul, he wanted the Corinthians to have that open relationship with him, which they didn't, most of them. And just as he had displayed this love towards the Corinthians, he wanted the same back to him. He loved them like children, the word of God says here. And they should have also been displaying the same type of love towards him as a father in faith leading them. Not their heavenly father, but a father figure in faith leading them um, in this church body. But it was really in the hands of the Corinthians whether they were going to love him or not love him as he loved them. And when I think about this in our walk with the Lord, the Lord himself has loved us quite openly. When you think about what God the Father did, right? He sent his only begotten son to this earth. And you think about Jesus, the sacrifice that he made on the cross, that open heart that we have with God the Father and God the Son. And his honesty through his word, because the word is truth. And God has been honest through his word and open to us through his heart. And that's how we want to be. And that's what Paul wanted from the Corinthians, but he wasn't seeing that uh, because of the way they were living. And a good question to ask ourselves, I often ask myself this, is how open am I with the Lord? I mean, first of all, the Lord already knows everything about us, right? He, He knows everything. He sees everything. But how open am I 
Like he needs to hear it from us. The things that we think are hidden in our lives that are very visible to the Lord. Do we share those things with the Lord? Do we confess those things um, to the Lord? And I think having that healthy fear of the Lord and also understanding that he could come back at any moment, right? An imminent return of the Lord allows us to have that open um, relationship with the Lord as far as our hearts and our love towards him. And this certainly will help us in our walk, our inner ministry with the Lord, which will then impact our outward ministry for the Lord uh, because our ministry flows from within. And certainly that's something that um, we should consider, right? As we continuously evaluate ourselves as we walk with the Lord. Now in verses 14 through 16, uh, notice what he writes here. He says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, remember, Paul wanted them to open their affections up to him. And the only way that they could possibly do that was by separating themselves onto the Lord and the world that they love so much. They needed to narrow their love. And the only way we can narrow our love is by separating ourselves from things that are taking that love away from us, right? And in terms of our walk with the Lord, we have to narrow our love towards Jesus Christ. And we have to give up those things that are taking that because the Lord doesn't want to rival anyone or anything because he's a jealous God. And we have to be very careful that we don't allow that to happen. We want to make sure that that love that we have is narrowed uh, towards the Lord. And notice he says here not to be unequally yoked. Now, what is he talking about here? Now, when you think about a yoke, you can think of this wooden beam. Okay, it was normally used to pair oxen uh, to plow the fields. And I actually have a picture of one that I want to show you. So it looks something like this. So that's a yoke, um, as you can see here, around those two animals there. And it's attached, it was typically attached to like a plow cart to do work in the fields. And they could both carry that load together. And if you look in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 22, there in verse 10, uh, the word of God tells us that you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. And what they're suggesting there is that you do not want to be unequally yoked. In other words, if you have an ox and a donkey, you're unequally yoked because the pool is going to be different. In those times, an ox was considered clean and yet a donkey was considered unclean. So obviously, if you have two different types of animals yoked together, there's going to be a different pool and the work is likely not going to get done the way it should get done. And you're thinking to yourself, well, how does this apply to me as um, you know, a human being, right? How does that apply to us? Well, we too, as believers, we are yoked to the Lord. We are yoked to Jesus Christ. If you look at Matthew chapter 11, 29 through 30, and I'm sure many of us in this room are familiar with this verse, the Lord tells us there, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, 
and my burden is light. And certainly when we're yoked to the Lord, those are some of the very few of the many benefits rather that we have in Christ Jesus because we have so many benefits as sons and daughters of the Most High. So when we are yoked to Jesus Christ, we are working side by side with the Lord. He is leading us. He is guiding us as we continue to fulfill the plan and the will that he has for your life and for my life. And when you think about being unequally yoked, the first thing that comes to my mind is relationships. And if you're yoked to Christ, and then you're also yoked to someone who's not in Christ Jesus, they're going to be going in one direction, and the Lord's going to be taking you in a completely different direction. And I think about dating and marriage, and I know most of you are married in here, so, and I praise God that you both are in Christ Jesus because you're a great example to people like me who still don't have a wife, still single. But when you think about dating and marriage, it's difficult to go in one direction if you are yoked to somebody who is not in Christ Jesus because you're not like-minded. If you have a woman in your life who's going in this direction, she's going in the worldly direction, and Christ is pulling you this way, it's not going to be a good thing for you. And we have to be very careful that we're not unequally yoked to non-believers. And we don't want to allow our affections, our lustful passions, to invite someone into the relationship that we have with Christ Jesus. Uh, Because like I said before, we don't want to allow anything to rival our love for God. Because God's jealous for you and he's jealous for me. Uh, You can read about that in Exodus 34, for example. And I've heard many people say this before where they're in um, a relationship where they're unequally yoked and they say, oh, but I'll save that person. I will save that person. Just give me some time. Um, But in actuality, we won't be saving anybody, right? We're just a mouthpiece for the Lord. Only the Lord can change people. And the best thing to do is just to wait on the Lord. And um, he will send that perfect man for you women and that perfect woman for you men Um, in his timing. Uh, So don't do it yourself, right? Just wait on the Lord. And because the Lord is our first love. He is our first love and he will always be our first love. And we need to remain faithful uh, to him because that's what he's called us to do. And I know personally for me, um, I pray that the woman the Lord has for me, that she loves him more than she loves me and that she's the companion that's going to help me and that I'm going to be able to lead as we serve the Lord together to accomplish the things that he set me uh, to do. And um, I don't know where she is, but she's out there somewhere. And I'm praying for her, and I hope she's praying for me as well. So that way, when we do find each other, um, we can do some great things together uh, for the Lord as he works through us. Also, in terms of like dating, I think a good idea is to date in groups. Um, Try not to find yourself alone with the person that you are with, no matter how faithful you think you are, um, because nothing good dwells in our flesh. We know that. And we do want to be careful of that. We don't want to allow any type of temptation to, to be invited into our lives or that we allow to come in. Another thing is, um, is sexual um, intercourse, right? When you think about sexual intercourse or... Um, you think about that, anything outside of marriage is immoral. Anything outside of marriage is immoral. And if you're unequally yoked to somebody, they're going to have a different mindset about sex 
than you do in Christ Jesus. And automatically, you're going to be going in completely different directions. And because we are weak in the flesh, that can be a recipe for disaster, I think, if you're in Christ Jesus and you're dating someone who's not in the Lord. And like I said, there's just a completely different mindset there, and we have to be very careful. Because the second we sleep with someone, we become one with that person. And certainly we want to become one with the Lord. And whomever he brings into our lives, we're still one with the Lord because he brought that person in. But if we go outside of our relationship with the Lord and we bring someone into our lives that he has not brought in, then we are no longer one uh, with the Lord, right? We've separated ourselves from the Lord. And if you think of the church there in Corinth, uh, in Corinth rather, there was a lot of sexual immorality taking place. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, beginning in verse 2, and then also in chapter 5 of the first letter to the Corinthians. A lot of immorality that Paul had to address. We are to love the Lord with all of our heart and all of our might, right? The Word of God tells us. And when we do something like this, we become unequally yoked to another person who's a non-believer, and we do things like that. Um, We become disobedient to the Lord, and we separate ourselves um, from Him. These bodies, your body, my body, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives, has dwelt inside of us. And we don't want to bring idols into the temple of the Holy Spirit by um, engaging in behavior like that. Um, Because it'll weaken us. It'll certainly weaken us. And um, when I was studying this, it reminded me of Samson and Delilah. If you look back to the book of Judges um, in the Old Testament, um, remember Samson fell for Delilah, this Philistine pagan. Um, He had been led astray by his lustful passions. And if you remember Samson, this judge of Israel, right, he um, had brought vengeance against uh, the Philistines. And these leaders used Delilah to cause him to stumble, right? Uh, She deceived him. She took away his strength. His strength was in his hair, remember. And she brought him down. Remember, she cut his hair when he had uh, fallen asleep on her lap. And, um, of course, he was weakened. If you remember, when his hair was cut because of that sinful action, that thing that he allowed into his life, God had departed from him. And and it kind of reminded me of when um, the glory of God had departed the temple there because of the sins of Israel. And Samson, if you remember, he took that vow at birth, right, of the Nazarite. And if you look at Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 20, that gives you a description of what that vow is. But in terms of Samson, um, he was not to cut his hair, which was part of that vow. And because that happened, uh, because he became weak and that happened to him, um, he wasn't able to, the Lord left him and this, this happened to him, right? He was weakened by this uh, distraction, And that's why we have to be careful that those passions that we have, those lustful things, that we crucify those things immediately, the thoughts in our minds, the things we hear, the things that we see, we can't let those things fester in our brains for a long time because then they infiltrate our hearts and then they become actions in our lives. And um, it's easier said than done, but we have all the resources that we need to do that. We have the Lord, we have the Holy Spirit, we have each other as brothers and sisters in Christ uh, to hold each other accountable. When you think about this action by Samson, Jesus, in his earthly ministry, when Jesus was on this earth, if he would have been overtaken by his emotions, do you think he would have been able to surrender to the will of his father? Probably not. And I praise God that he didn't do that. 
that he was willing to surrender to the will of his father and not allow his earthly emotions to overtake him. So the relationship we have with the Lord um, is the most important thing. And anything that we bring into the relationship is going to impact that walk um, that we have with the Lord. So I know we've been talking about relationships here, but really in essence, when you talk about being unequally yoked, it can apply to anything in your life. Even, for example, like if you start a business with somebody, um, let's say that person is not in Christ and they have completely different motives than you do for this business. You're unequally yoked. You're going to be going in completely opposite directions. And that can certainly impact your walk and your relationship uh, with the Lord. And that would not be a good type of fellowship. We have to be very careful. Now, when I say or when the Word of God tells us to separate ourselves from, from that, um, we're not suggesting that you separate yourself from sinners, right? We're going to be in the midst of sinners, but we don't want to engage in the behavior that the sinners are engaging in. That's the fellowship part. And I'll talk a little bit more about that because I know this can be a little bit contradicting. You think, well, that's kind of contradicting. Well, it's not, right? Um, we are to communicate to people that are in sin about Christ, but we are, are not to engage in the sinful practices that they are engaging in. You don't fellowship in that sense with them because we're supposed to separate ourselves from darkness, those worldly idols, and separate ourselves onto the Lord, right? You think about Jesus. He was amongst sinners, right? But he didn't engage in their behavior. Like he didn't collect taxes with the tax collectors, right? He ate with them. He ministered to them, but he didn't rob people, steal money from people. Um, he didn't fellowship with them. He was in the midst of them. He was with them. And as we narrow our love to the Lord, I think those things make more sense to us because we take the focus off of ourselves, our own needs. We put it back onto Jesus and we recognize when we are in fellowship with people that are not in Christ, whether we're in fellowship with them or we're just in the midst of them, ministering to them. Because we certainly want to make the most of the grace that God has given to us. In verses 15 and 16, so here first in verse 15, he says, What accord has Christ with Belial? Now that word Belial there, um, in the Hebrew, if you look that word up in the concordance, um, it means worthlessness, it means wickedness, it means the evil one. And certainly there can be no fellowship between Christ and Satan, right? Um, can there be peace between Christ and Satan? No, there's always going to be something, right? Something going on there. And neither can there be fellowship between a non-believer and a believer. Now, when you think about fellowship, it's like sharing similar values, similar views, interests, experiences. Um, for example, our weekend is going to look different from a non-believer's weekend, right? Um, in many ways. Uh, you think to yourself, like I said before, well, this is kind of contradicting, right? We're walking with Christ Jesus. We're supposed to be ambassadors for the Lord, but we're not supposed to fellowship with people. I don't understand. Well, fellowship does not mean that we are in the midst of people. It means that we're not engaging in their sinful behavior or acts. So you can be in the midst of a sinner, but engaging in their behavior, that's what fellowship is. So you can be amongst them, but don't fellowship with them because a lot of those things that they are engaging in are things that we have left. And it's so easy to fall back into that old way um, of living. And certainly we don't want to cut the bridges that we've made with people. That way we can continue to channel that gospel message across that bridge and engage with them, right? 
um, but we don't want to fellowship with them. So a good question to ask is like, where do I draw the line? Well, when it begins to impact your walk and the walk of people around you, that's where you draw the line, okay? You don't want that to impact your relationship with the Lord as you continue to minister to one another, family members, friends, people that you see on the streets every single day. Now, Paul also writes here in verse 15, he says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Idols. Now, idols speaks of anything that separates us from the Lord. It doesn't necessarily mean like a false god that you worship, but it can be sin. It could be work. It could be school. It could be a relationship, anything like that, right? That we put before the Lord. How can we live for God by having a foot in the church and then having a foot in the world with our idol? We, we can't live like that. Either you're yoked to the Lord or you're yoked to the world. You can't have it both ways. James chapter 4 tells us that if you are a friend of the world, you are an enemy of God. So we have to be very careful. How can we bring idols into the temple of the Holy Spirit? Speaking of you and speaking of me as we continue to follow the Lord together. Your body, my body, we are the temple um, of the Holy Spirit. And Paul was well aware of that, right? He writes about this. And if you look at the latter part of verse 16, um, here he quotes from Leviticus and from Ezekiel. And he says, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So the Lord is not just in us, but he's amongst us. Um, And if you look at Ezekiel, beginning in chapter 8 through verse, or through chapter 11, sorry, 8 through 11. Uh, and this is something I mentioned earlier. Remember there when the glory of God left the temple because of their sin? Uh, if you remember, the, the glory of God left the inner temple first and then made its way out to the outer temple. And all of us in this room, we have an inner temple in our lives, right? The holy place of our soul where we make decisions, the sacrifices that we make. Um, and then you think of our outer temper, temple, right? It's kind of our outward ministry uh, to the Lord. And whatever impacts the inner temple is going to impact the outer temple as well. So we have to be very careful that we don't quench the Holy Spirit, that we are separated from those things that quench the Holy Spirit. That way, whatever is in our inner temple will come out in our outer temple and allow us to be that instrument for the Lord. In verse 17 and in verse 18, Um, You know, we're aware that, yes, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but now what? What do we do now? Verse 17 tells us, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. So this is very similar to what we read in Isaiah chapter 52 uh, in verse 11. So because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we need to separate ourselves um, from evil. Now, remember, we don't want to isolate ourselves from sinners, right? We don't want to be like those closet Christians, right? Where we're just like in our little church and not doing anything for the Lord, right? But we do want to avoid their dark deeds. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 13, Paul writes about this. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light.
So that's exactly uh, what we are commanded uh, to do. Now, if you look at verse 18, uh, Paul continues and he writes, I will be a father to you. This is the Lord speaking through Paul. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So what we see here are the benefits of separating ourselves onto the Lord, right? We become sons and daughters um, of the Most High. And we can have that intimate relationship uh, with the Lord. And I know it can be difficult to separate ourselves from the things in the world, right? The ties that we've had in the world, whether it's sin, whether it's friendships, relationships, things that have separated us from doing the Lord's will. And because we're in the flesh, it's difficult to separate yourself from those ties, but it's so easy to come back to those ties because we're still in the flesh. And I love this because it reminds us here, this verse, verse 18, um, what we have in Christ Jesus when we do separate ourselves onto him, we become sons and daughters. And, um, you know, that's the best thing for anyone. Now, when we are in the world, obviously we are a slave to the world. We are a slave to sin and we have no inheritance because when you think about sin, the word of God tells us that the wages of sin is death and that will be our inheritance. However, in Christ Jesus, as sons and daughters, we have a heavenly father. We have an inheritance, right? And that is eternal life. But notice here when he closes verse 18, he says, says the Lord Almighty. Now, if you look that word up, Almighty, in the concordance, um, in the Greek, the word is pantakrato, pantakrato. And what that means is that he's the one or the one who has his hand on everything, the one who has his hand on everything. And it's interesting because this phrase, you know, it popped out to me. Um, you know, I, I like to look the words up in the Greek, to see what it really means. But this phrase apparently is only used here and in the book of Revelation in the New Testament, which is pretty cool. Um, and certainly as believers, we know that he has his hands on everything, no matter what circumstance, no matter what we're facing. You know, this morning as we prayed, you know, all the things that we're going through, God has his hands on everything, the Lord Almighty. So praise the Lord for that. Now, the second thing that we're going to see this morning and the final thing here in chapter 7 is Paul's plea for holiness. Paul's plea for holiness. So here in chapter 7, uh, verse 1, uh, Paul writes, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So what we've seen here are the benefits and the privileges of separating ourselves onto the Lord. And now our desire, as the word of God says here, is to perfect holiness in our lives in the fear of God. Now, how do we perfect holiness? Are we going to be perfect? No. On this side of heaven, we are never going to be perfect. However, we should always desire to be better, right? We're not going to be sinless, but we should desire to sinless. We don't want to settle for mediocreness in our walk with the Lord. Because if you're not growing, then you're not growing, right? You don't want to plateau. You don't want to fall backwards. We need to fight the good fight of faith and continue setting our minds on eternal things. And that will allow us, I truly believe, to continue separating ourselves onto the Lord and living that life that is holy. Because every single day, um, he's continuing to shape us and to mold us. And we want to live that lifestyle that represents that. So in closing this morning, there were several things that we did talk about. So the first thing we looked at was living a holy life, right? 
And number one, we need to have an honest and open heart towards God first and foremost, and towards one another as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and towards the people that the Lord has allowed us to minister to or to lead. Now, Paul, as we saw in the text this morning, he had, he had an open heart and an honest heart uh, towards the Corinthians. And unfortunately, most of those Corinthians didn't have the same heart uh, towards Paul. They had different motives at hand. And as Christians, as believers, as we continually evaluate ourselves, we can see where our hearts are and those pieces of dross that the Lord needs to remove from our lives. Um, so we need to continuously evaluate ourselves and ask the Lord to help us evaluate ourselves by helping us to recognize those things that need to be exposed. And as we grow, we need to receive correction with love and with joy because as people correct us, um, certainly it's going to help us to be better in the Lord and to make the most of God's grace in our lives. The second thing we looked at in this first section was that we don't want to be unequally yoked to non-believers. So we talked about relationships first and foremost, right? We don't want to let our passions arrival our love for God. We don't ever want to bring someone into the relationship that we have with the Lord um, that is not in Christ Jesus because then we are going to separate ourselves um, from the Lord and also just wait on the Lord. Another thing that we talked about is applying this to everyday life, right? For example, like if you start a business with someone, if um, you start a business with somebody who hates people and loves money um, and you love the Lord, there's going to be some issues, right? As you fellowship with this person and build a business together with, with this individual. So we need to be careful that this unequally yoked to non-believers applies to every part um, of our lives. We can have a foot in the church and then a foot in the world uh, because then the Lord cannot uh, use us, right? Because then our love will not be narrowed to the Lord. It will be kind of going in this direction and going in that direction. Also, we need to live a life that is separate onto the Lord. Um, we've died to our old life and we're new in Christ Jesus. And I know it's a difficult thing because we're all in the flesh still, right? It's hard to give up the things in our life that we are so accustomed to that maybe are separating us from the Lord. Um, but it's so easy to come back to those things. So we have to be very careful. It's a daily battle. Every single day as sons and daughters, we need to choose to separate ourselves onto the Lord. The second we wake up in the morning, that's when the battle uh, begins. And then the second thing that we looked at and the final thing we looked at was Paul's plea for holiness. And once again, we need to narrow our love towards Christ and be yoked onto uh, the Lord. And this will allow us to perfect holiness in our lives. And, and like I said, and like we all understand here, we're never going to be perfect, right? This perfection of holiness is an ongoing process. Every single day, the Lord is perfecting us. He's shaping us. He's molding us. And we're always going to fall short of God's glory every single day. And I praise God that we can just confess our sins to him and he will forgive us. And we'll try harder the next day, right? By allowing him to lead us and to guide us. We should desire to sin less, though we're not going to be sinless. Now, I'll close with this verse. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul writes, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So as we continue walking with the Lord, as we continue separating ourselves onto the Lord, we can continue making the most of that grace that God has given to us, and we can live that holy um, lifestyle in this dark world that we live in. Amen. So uh, let me close in prayer, and then um, we have one more song up there. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning, Lord. 
I pray that your word will shape us. It'll mold us. It'll give us a desire, Lord, to continue separating our lives onto you, living that holy lifestyle, Lord, a lifestyle that represents your son, Jesus. We thank you so much, Lord, for your saving grace. And Lord, we pray this morning, if there's anyone watching or there's anyone here this morning, Lord, that doesn't know you, we pray that you would tug at their heart this morning. And Lord, if they do choose to receive you, Lord, it's, it's very simple, Lord, to receive your grace. All we have to do, Lord, is believe that your son Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose from the dead three days later, Lord. We put our faith in that message. We vocalize that, Lord God. We recognize we are sinners, and we repent of our sin, Lord, and we recognize we need a Savior, which is you, Lord. You find us righteous in your sight, Lord, and I pray this morning, if anyone does that, that you would just continue to guide them and lead them, Lord. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Help them to find a church where there is discipleship. Help them to find a church that teaches your word, Lord God. We thank you so much, Lord, for the privilege of knowing you, for the privilege and the honor of being considered sons and daughters of the Most High. We thank you so much, Lord, for the living hope that we have in your son, Jesus. And this morning, once again, Lord, we want to lift up all the needs of this church body to you, Lord God. Everything is in your hands, Lord. You are the Lord Almighty. And we thank you so much, Lord, that you are in complete control and we can just trust you. We pray for peace that surpasses all understanding. We love you and we praise you, Lord. We thank you so much for everything that you do and continue to do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.